0: Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and I just thank you, Lord, for this beautiful Pentecost Sunday. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the body of Christ. I pray today, Lord God, we have a greater appreciation for the Holy Spirit and the church at large. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning, I want to remind you, let me get my Google Docs open on my phone. Okay, here we go. I want to remind you a great three holy holidays for a Christian. Is, uh Good Friday, Easter, Christmas, and Pentecost Sunday. Right? I want to remind you. So, uh, growing up in the Lord, I didn't realize how important Pentecost Sunday was. I, I knew how important Christmas was. I knew how important Easter was. But it didn't really hit me how important um, Pentecost Sunday is. And so Pentecost began and remains as one of the major holidays on the Jewish calendar that occurs 50 days after Passover. The word Pentecost literally means the 50th or 50th day. For Jews, Pentecost was a time where they celebrated the first harvest of the agricultural year. It was a time where they gave thanks to God for the land, for what the land has produced, and for what the labor has yielded. For Christians, Pentecost marks the birthday of the church. The day Peter preached and response to that um, sermon was 3,000 souls converted. Let's read some scriptures uh, uh, to get a a scriptural framework on Pentecost Sunday. Praise the Lord. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 4 through 11. It says, Once when he was eating with them, talk about Jesus, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift. He promised, as I told you before, John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept on asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? They just wanted war, right? They were were just thinking politically. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He was blowing their minds when he was saying this. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. He just flew away. He's like, I'm out. (laughs) Verse 10. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them and said, Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taking from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Hallelujah. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 2. It's the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to read... Um, together 1 through 14, praise the Lord, it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, all the believers, one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looks like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At the time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. And they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking our own native language. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elemanites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Figria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and all those, um, and we hear all these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has spoken. God has done, right? So they they got ability to communicate in different language, wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What could this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's it, that's all. And Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles And shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. Let's skip down to um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves, this is after they got saved, devoted, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Ooh, that's how you build a church, fam. Book of Ecclesiastes is all full of um, be with your friends, enjoy your job, and drink and be merry and eat your food. Right, So it says that all the believers devoted themselves to the teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals. Now, these are people from different nations. Verse 43. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. You know, there's a guy named Jonathan Haidt, H a d H a i d t and he wrote an article, and Christianity Today covered it, about the way to break up tribalism is you need awe, and unique community. And that's what we see here, right? This is how they broke up tribalism with the Greeks and the Egyptians and the Jews. They came because there was awe. This is why worship is such a powerful experience for the church. All right, verse 46. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes. We gotta start opening our homes, fam, for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What a beautiful scripture of the genesis of the church. J. Oswald Sanders says, Ambition that centers on the glory of God and the welfare of the church is a mighty force for good. Brothers and sisters, I recently heard a theologian explain how the church has done good for the world. And I know there's a lot of naysayers. Oh, no, the church did this, the church did that. But if you really weigh it in a meta-large scale, the church is a powerful force for good. I know there's secularists who want the church to disappear or completely embrace their uh, constant revolving agenda in this world. And I will say this to the secularists, you know, whether the rapture happens in our generation or not, I will say this. They may get what they want, but they may not want what they get. I'm going to say it again. I will say this to the people who hate the church and the secularists. They may get what they want, but they may not want what they get. I know many people believe like John Lennon, right? If we can only imagine there's no heaven, there's no hell, we will all end up in utopia. That's not true, friends. More people died under communism than many other things. My friends and family of the faith, I'm here to say that John Lennon was a sensitive man. He was a good artist, but he was not true. There's no utopia. There's no kingdom without the king. There's no peace without the Prince of Peace if you really study the state of the world prior to the Christ in the church, you realize it wasn't that great. There was a letter dated 1 BC, authentic, you know, how do you say it? Verified letter, right, in age, 1 BC, one year before Christ was born. It was a, a love letter by a gentleman named Hilarion and his wife Alice. <laughs> and he was working in Egypt, in Alexandria, And his wife was about to give birth to the child. And they wrote a beautiful love letter. But it came to a point in the love letter when it says, If it's a boy, he said, If it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, throw it away. He said, If it's a boy, keep the baby. If it's a girl, throw it away. This was life before the church. Throw it away. No one batted an eye to if infanticide or child exposure. That was a normal part of life. There's a guy, he wrote a book. I mean, he's a famous podcaster. Um, his podcast is Hardcore History. Carlin. Dan. Dan Carlin. Yeah, Dan Carlin. And I have his book. It's called the, the End is Always Near. He wrote like a history book. And he talked about how we recently just started treating children well. For a long time, we treated t- children terribly. And so the pre-church world was a world where racism reigned far more than anything that compares to today. It was a world filled with superstition, where the gods were feared. And when people at that time, when they looked at John three sixteen. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. No one thought about gods in this way at that time. They were moody, or they were mercurial, they, they were to be feared, they were to be appeased. Only can, when Jesus came, that in, in, in our writings, it says, for God so loved the world. There was nothing like that before the church. God, did, The gods didn't love you, you were supposed to appease the gods and they didn't care about you. Before, the, 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 like the Roman world most of the people were slaves and any time during the Roman world 25% of the people were sick or dying or needing medical attention and then here comes Jesus the healer from Galilee blind can see the lame can walk the deaf can hear the dead are brought back to life We can see immediately in the Christian movement, there was an emphasis on caring for the poor. Jesus' first thing was good news to the poor, right? His first declaration preach good news to the poor. We see in the beginning of the Christian movement as caring for the poor. In the book of Acts, how the deacons started, right? How they started the deacons in Acts 7, I believe, was to take care of the poor from different cultures. And don't get me started on the emphasis of women in the New Testament church. It's fascinating that the woman mentioned in Luke chapter eight, verse one through three. They talk about women that supported Jesus. This was unheard of in a chauvinistic Jewish context, where there used to be a benediction. There was three benedictions in the Mishnah, the Talmud. One that says, "Thank God you didn't make me a Thank God you didn't make me a Gentile. Thank God you didn't make me an ignoramus or a slave. Or thank God you didn't make me a female." This was the mindset, the judeo Hebraic mindset at the time, and. Jesus comes, it's written in the Gospels that the women are supporting Jesus. The central role of women in the life and ministry of Jesus is nothing short of remarkable. The women of Luke chapter 8 are the women that made the eyewitnesses in Luke chapter 24 that saw the resurrection of Christ. Fascinating. The first true apostles, the first people to, to articulate the Gospel were women. You know, fascinating to me also that uh, Martin Luther, he said the one of the most important documents in all the history of the world is the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 2, we see a wonderful account of Sister Phoebe. And Paul writes that she is a benefactor and she is a parasteme, right? Which means beside me. So the, it's the only place the word shows up in the New Testament. Phoebe was not just a courier, but possibly the reader of the Book of Romans. The Book of Romans blew people's mind at that time. You know, if you guys, anybody likes to read. I don't know if anybody likes to read, right? But um, the guy who wrote the movie 300, right? His name is Steven Pressfield. Um, he wrote, I think it was called Gates of, Gates of Hell. But he wrote a book about um protecting the pathway to bringing the book of romans it's a Tisa book i forgot the name of it i think soldier at arms but yeah phoebe's going and and she's most likely she's not just sharing and taking a picture like amazon she is there she's reading part of it she's explaining it a businesswoman. a businesswoman. it was the, the world was not like this before jesus and the church I know it's hard to believe, but early Christians invented healthcare. I know it's hard to believe, but it's out there if you do the research. Christians invented charity. The early Christians invented social justice. Even there was this ruler in the 4th century named Julian the Apost- Apostate. Right, He was like a backslider. I was trying to resurrect paganism. And he used to use uh, the term Galileans in a negative way. Jesus said, we got to be like the Galileans and open the grain silos to take, because they take care of not only their own group, they take care of people who hate them. And we have to be like them. Even stories, even leaders, we take care of everybody. The world that existed before Jesus came was hostile, awful to women, terrible to the family. It was a world of injustice and superstition and slavery where individuals were marginalized and victimized. And what made a big difference? It was Jesus Christ in the early church movement. Even China sent some researchers here to America to study the Western Europe the West the West like Europe and America's success. And one of the main takeaways they came with was the Protestant work ethic. Was a main cause of success in America. Brothers and sisters, I know it feels like we're the underdog. I know it feels like the media is beating up the church. The media is beating up the church. Listen, we're still the biggest religion. We still have the numbers. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we have the mission. And we have the mantle. Do not shrink back. Amen? Alright, so. I'm not going to go over these points. But. When you look at Pentecost power, the birth of the church, there was some power over the church. Uh, The church was called a minister in the Holy Spirit's power. We have to pray every day, Holy Spirit, empower me, embolden me, encourage me, Holy Spirit, that my life could be a testimony, that I may be a trophy, a display of God's grace and glory. We must maintain warm fellowship. We must support each other and and, and join each other. It's not that, oh, um, it's not that if uh, we can't make every church event an option. We have to see it as an opportunity. All right, so we we must magnify the vision of God. We must maximize the power of prayer. We have to learn to pray for each other. We must model Christ-like generosity. And we must mobilize every member for ministry. And I challenge you, brothers and sisters, that we have to learn to live out God's Word. I want to challenge you to read God's Word. Read your devotions every single day. Summit Church, we're a powerful church. We're a powerful church. And the church at large, our brothers and sisters and the assemblies of God, our brothers and sisters in the Baptist movement, our Methodist brothers and sisters, our Victory Outreach brothers and sisters, our Lutheran brothers and sisters, our Catholic brothers and sisters. We're doing good work. We're doing the Lord's work. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Virtual amen. Praise the Lord. I can send you these notes when you ha- when you afterwards. But the main conclusion I want to share is that the church NYC is called to serve the people who serve New York City. I believe God's given us the grace to support people who work for the city, people who work for ACS, people who work for the construction commission, people from NYPD, people from the fire department, people for the DOE, people from the CUNY system, people from HRA, homeless services. I believe that God has put a grace on this ministry's life to serve those who serve the city. And when we magnify the vision of God, pray like the early church prayed, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're generous with each other, when we're a believer that knows we're going to heaven, that that can never be taken away, we can be, learn to contend for the crown, give the kingdom of darkness a black eye, and we want to take as many people with us to heaven as possible. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus, and I pray that... That we will be proud of our church heritage. We've known the church has messed up. We've known that there's been times in in, the, in in hundreds of years, in the thousands of years, that the church has messed up. But we know not done if we've well We've hospitals and schools. All the prayers will play up, put our moon on the people of grace, people of love, people that bear the fruit of the Spirit, live by the power of the Spirit, people who love their church. People treat their fans well, who stood their finances, who take care of their health. Lord, Lord, I pray you bless everybody watching in Jesus' name. Amen. if you're here and you're like, man, what do you do now? You can pray the church daily. You can pray for members and new financial partners. You can sign up for a Bible reading plan. I can send you some if you message me. You can sign up for a summit church project or committee. We're gonna send out a Google form this week. That if you want to join the Lake Committee, right, to make the Lake fun, uh, Celebration Committee, um, for outreach committees, we want to make little committees so we can work together to help build the kingdom. Maybe you want to pray about setting up a tithely reoccurring gift. And maybe you want to pray and invite two people to join us for our next in-person Sunday. These are some of the ways you can help your local church. As your pastor, as your friend, I pray you have a beautiful day a blessed day, right? That you may walk in God's love and grace. Anna and I, we love serving you. The board loves serving you guys. We ask you to stay encouraged, stay connected, continue to live with God's joy. All right, friends, have a beautiful day. We're done over here. I pray that you have a wonderful day. And if you